Breathing in, I feel alive. Breathing out, I smile to life inside of me and around me. Good morning, dear Sangha. Um, today is uh, May the 6th in the year 2008, and we are in Hanoi, Gimlin uh, Hotel for our retreat with the theme Engage Buddhism in the 21st uh, Century. There is a technical um, term, formation, this Buddhist uh, technical term, formation. The Sanskrit is uh, samskara. And the Buddha said that uh, all formations are impermanent, always changing. And we can distinguish between uh, physical formations, uh, biological formations, and mental formations. Uh, A flower is a formation because many elements have come together in order to help the flower manifest. We see uh, the cloud, the sunshine, the seed, the uh, soil, the farmer, the gardener, and many other elements that have come together in order to help a flower manifest. And that is why a flower is called a formation. Samskara, formation. And that formation called flower is impermanent. It is always changing. When I look at my hand, I know this is also a formation. Many elements have come together in order for my hand to manifest. Ancestors, mother, father, food, uh, experiences in the past, and so on. Many elements have come together in order to help my hand uh, 
manifests as a biological phys- uh, bi- biological uh, formation. My body is a formation. Kaya samskara, the formation called body. And when I have uh, anger, uh, joy, uh, forgiveness, uh, um, something like um, irritation, depression, uh, peace, they are all mental formations. And mental formations are also impermanent. Our emotion, our feelings, our perceptions are all mental formations. And all mental formations are impermanent. Not only physical formations are impermanent, but uh, physiological, biological formations are impermanent, and mental formations are also impermanent. All all formations are impermanent. That is a statement made by the Buddha. And when we observe one formation, we should be able to see the nature of impermanence in each formation. This word is uh, the Chinese translation of formation. All the all the formations are impermanent. We want to talk about mental formations this morning. In my tradition, we count uh, fifty-one categories of uh, mental formations. As a novice monk, I had to learn by heart the name of these mental formations. There are positive, wholesome mental formations, like uh, compassion, loving-kindness, joy, forgiveness. Mindfulness, concentration, insight. There are many wholesome, wonderful mental formations in us. And the practice consists in recognizing these mental formations, these wonderful mental formations in us, and help them to manifest. We also have uh, negative mental formations like uh, craving, anger, hate, violence, jealousy. And the practice consists in refraining from touching them, from watering these uh, seeds of uh, unwholesomeness so that they don't have a chance to manifest. So there are 
positive, wholesome mental formations. There are negative, uh, unwholesome mental formations. And there are also a few mental formations that uh, can be either wholesome or unwholesome. Like the mental formation called uh, thinking. Thinking can be good, can be helpful, but thinking can be destructive. So there are uh, three kinds of mental formations, wholesome, unwholesome, and uh, indefinite. Um, They can be wholesome or unwholesome. Practicing meditation, we have to be there in the here and the now in order to recognize whatever formation is manifesting. Yesterday, we uh, learned about uh, the, the formation called body. I'm breathing in, I'm aware of my body. The body is a formation. And when we are aware of our body, we might be aware that there is tension, stress, pain in our body. All these things belong to the realm of uh, uh, physiological formations. So anything that happens into your body, you are aware of, of it. If there is pain in your body, you are aware that there is pain in our body. If there is uh, relaxation in our body, we know that there is relaxation in our body. Uh, mindfulness is the kind of energy that helps us to be aware of uh, the, men, uh, the formations that are going on. Um, the same thing is true with mental formations. When there is a mental formation called joy, we are aware that there is joy in me. When there is the mental formation sorrow manifesting, we know that uh, the mental formation sorrow is in me. When there is the mental formation irritation manifesting, we are aware that the mental formation irritation is in me. So mindfulness, first of all, is the power to recognize the kind of formation that is there that is happening in the present moment, whether they are physical, uh, physiological, or mental. In the 51, among the 51 mental formation, we know that there are wholesome, wonderful mental formations, like mindfulness, concentration, insight. Loving-kindness, compassion, joy, peace. And uh, everyone has these wonderful uh, mental formations that exist in form of uh, bijas, it means seeds. We have the seed of anger, 
that lay in the bottom of our consciousness. And because that seed of anger is sleeping down there, we are okay. We are not angry. It does not mean that we don't have the seed of anger in us. But if uh, someone uh, says something, uh, does something that touches the seed of anger in us, it will manifest as a mental formation. So before it becomes a mental formation, it is a seed, a chungtu, a bija. So a bija that is uh, touched, that is water, become a samskara, a jitta samskara, a mental formation. We also have uh, wholesome mental formations like uh, forgiveness, loving kindness, compassion. And we need to know how to touch these seeds, to water these seeds so that they have a chance to manifest. When they manifest themselves, we are happy. And if they continue to slip down there, we cannot be happy. Our consciousness consists of of at least two layers. And down here we have a store consciousness. And up here we have mind consciousness. All the the bijas, all the seeds are here. Wholesome and unwholesome. 51 kinds of seeds. And when the seed of anger is water, it manifests itself up here in the realm of mind consciousness as a mental formation. Here is only a seed. And according to the practice recommended by the Buddha, Every time uh, a seed of anger, the seed of anger or frustration manifests as a mental formation, we should not allow it to be there alone. We should uh, try to invite another seed to manifest. And uh, usually uh, invite the seat of mindfulness to manifest. And to manifest as uh, another mental formation. This is the mental formation called anger. 
This is a, a mental formation called mindfulness. Mindfulness is invited up here as a kind of energy to recognize the other mental formation. And that, that practice is uh, the practice of uh, mindfulness, of anger. Mindfulness is always mindfulness of something. When you breathe mindfully, that is mindfulness of breathing. When you walk mindfully, that is mindfulness of walking. When you are, you are uh, angry and you are aware that you are angry, that is mindfulness of anger. Those who do not practice, they only have anger as a mental formation. And they allow the energy of anger to, to cause a lot of damage. But those of us who are practitioners, we never let anger be alone. We always invite mindfulness to come up in order to take care of anger. And uh, anger is still there, but mindfulness is already there in order to take care of anger. That is the practice of mindfulness of anger. Suppose uh, this is not uh, the seat of anger that manifests, but it is the seat of depression. And when the seat of depression come up, we suffer. The landscape of mind consciousness is not peaceful, is not happy. And when depression manifests, we should know how to invite the seat of uh, mindfulness to manifest. And the energy of mindfulness will recognize the energy of depression. There is no fighting. There should be no fighting going on between the two kinds of energy. Because the job of mindfulness is just to recognize. To recognize things as they are. And then to embrace whatever is there in a very tender way, like a mother would embrace her child when the child suffers. The mother is working in the kitchen, but she hears the baby crying. She knows that the baby suffers. So she goes into the baby's room and she picked the baby up and she hold the baby tenderly in her arms. And, uh, and, uh, and the tenderness, the energy of tenderness of the mother begin to penetrate into the body of the child. And after a few moments, a child, the child feels better. This happens also with uh, the practice of uh, mindfulness. This is the energy of anger, uh, of depression. 
With the practice of mindful breathing, mindful walking, we generate the energy of mindfulness. The seed of mindfulness becomes the mental formation of uh, mindfulness. And with this energy, we recognize the other energy, and we can embrace the other, the other energy with uh, tenderness. There's no fighting. There's only supporting, helping. And Buddhist meditation is based on the principle of non-duality and non-violence. Non-duality because not only mindfulness is you, but anger is also you. Not only mindfulness is you, but depression is also you. So you are taking care of yourself. You are not fighting against yourself. And that is why we say that uh, Buddhist meditation is based on the principle of non-duality. You are both the anger and the mindfulness. No fighting is needed. You only need to recognize. You only need to embrace tenderly. There is no attempt to suppress, to fight. And therefore, the practice is non-violent. Non-duality leads to non-violence. When we have a feeling, whether that feeling is pleasant or unpleasant or neutral, as a practitioner, you become aware of the feeling. You recognize the feeling. You accept the feeling as it is. You don't have that intention to fight the feeling. Whether the feeling is pleasant or unpleasant, or both uh, pleasant and un- or mixed, pleasant and unpleasant at the same time. To become aware of the mental formation is the practice. There is a river of uh, feelings flowing day and night in us. And the practitioner is there in order to recognize every feeling as it manifests, as it stays for some time, and as uh, it uh, dies down. That is the uh, practice of contemplation of the feelings. In the Sutra of uh, the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, the Buddha advised us to uh, focus our mindfulness on the body first. The in-breath and the out-breath belongs to the body. So mindfulness of breathing belongs to the first uh, realm of 
practice. Body. When I practice breathing in, I'm aware of my body. Breathing out, I release the tension in my body. I'm dealing with my body as object of mindfulness. When I practice total deep relaxation, I become aware of every part of my body. I bring relaxation to every part of the body that belong to the realm of the practice of contemplation, contemplating the body in the body. But this morning we move into the second realm of practice. We practice being aware of the feelings and the emotions. Feelings and emotions may be pleasant or unpleasant, but we should be there as practitioner in order to recognize them and to take good care of them, like a mother would take good care of uh, her baby. If that is a pleasant feeling, you say, breathing in, I'm aware that a pleasant feeling is in me. We should not try to identify ourselves with the pleasant feeling and allow it to carry us away. If it is uh, a painful feeling, and then you say, breathing in, I'm aware of the unpleasant, painful feeling in me. Just become aware of it and not trying to fight, to push, to suppress it. This is very important. Non-violence, non-duality. And uh, like in the case of the mother embracing, holding the baby tenderly, a few minutes later, the, the painful mental formation uh, uh, will be less uh, uh, painful. You get a relief after having hold tenderly the painful feeling with uh, the energy of mindfulness. The energy of mindfulness is the mother, and the painful feeling is the only child. So just be there for your child, recognize your child that is suffering, and hold your child tenderly, and after a few minutes you get a relief. So uh, mindfulness, first of all, has uh, the function to recognize and then to hold and to bring a relief. But mindfulness also carries, carries within itself the energy of concentration. When you are mindful of the flower, And if you maintain your mindfulness alive for a long time, concentration 
begin to be powerful. So mindfulness leads to concentration. Mindfulness leads to concentration. And with concentration, you can take a deep look into the nature of what is there. That is deeper. That is a deeper level of meditation. First you recognize, and then you look deeply. And if you look deeply with uh, concentration, you discover the roots. You discover the very nature of what is. And with that kind of insight, with that kind of understanding, you can be liberated from from that kind of uh, sorrow, pain, anger, or despair. So mindfulness is a kind of energy that contains within itself the energy of uh, concentration. And the concentration, the energy of concentration contained within ourselves, the energy of insight. And insight is the factor of liberation. In Buddhism, we do not speak of uh, salvation by grace but salvation by insight. And insight comes only when you have a strong concentration. And in order to nourish, cultivate concentration, we should practice mindfulness. Mindfulness, concentration, insight is the heart of Buddhist meditation. These are three kinds of energies that we can cultivate in every moment of our daily life. While breathing, walking, uh, washing, driving, cooking. These uh, energies can be cultivated at any time and everywhere. Even when you drive your car, it is still possible for you to practice mindfulness of driving and concentration and getting the insight. You don't need to go into a monastery in order to practice mindfulness, concentration, and insight. Although the atmosphere of of the monastery is very supportive to that kind of practice. It's very important 
to learn how to use the energy of mindfulness in order to recognize the painful feeling, the painful uh, emotion in us. Not only we can bring about a relief, but we can also practice looking deeply into the nature of the feeling of the emotions in order to get the insight. And once we get the insight, we are liberated from from that uh, painful emotion, like a fear, despair, anger. And uh, when we speak of engaged Buddhism, if we speak of the kind of Buddhism that is present in our daily life at every moment, first, because when they hear about engaged Buddhism, they think of uh, fighting for social justice, uh, uh, fighting for human rights, uh, organizing manifestation, demonstration, and so on. But that is not true. That is part of the practice, but not the basic part. The basic part is to have the practice alive in every moment of your daily life. You should be there in order to attend to what is happening in the here and the now. In the realm of the body, in the realm of the mind, in the realm of the the environment. So engaged Buddhism is to respond to what is happening in body, in mind, and in environment. That is quite a simple uh, definition. To respond to physiological formation, to respond to mental formation, to respond to uh, physical uh, formations. In 1954, I was a young Dharma teacher, quite young. And uh, the Buddhist Institute uh, where I taught is uh, Anguang Temple, still there in Ho Chi Minh City, you can you can come and visit. In fact, uh, since uh, 1949, already I was uh, helping um, to build the Anquang Temple. I was one of the founders of the Anquang Buddhist Institute in Ho Chi Minh City. And uh, I taught the first uh, class of novice in that temple. The temple was very simple. It was built with bamboos and thatch. In fact, the name of the temple was Unquan.
and uh, there was uh, a Dharma teacher who came from Da Nang, and his uh, name is uh, the Venerable Thi Hu. And I helped him. We both built Ung Quang Temple Thi Hu. The war was going on between the French and the Vietnamese uh, uh, resistant uh, movement. Five years later, The country was uh, divided into the north and the south. The north uh, 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 was communist and the south was anti-communist. And over one million of uh, people uh, migrated from the north to the south, among them many Catholics. There was a lot of confusion in the country. The Geneva uh, Accord uh, was signed, and the country was divided into two parts. At the Ngkwang Temple, from time to time, we received a French soldiers who came to visit us. The French soldiers, the French army was preparing to get out of the country. After the Bien Phu, and then the war with uh, the French ended, and uh, it was agreed that the country should be divided and the French will withdraw from the country. I remember talking to these French soldiers. Many of them have come to Vietnam and died in Vietnam. In 1954, there is a great confusion in the mind of people in Vietnam, especially the young people, monks, nuns, lay practitioners, everyone. And uh, the North was uh, inspired by the Marxist-Leninist ideology. And in the South, uh, people, uh, America has picked up uh, a Catholic in order to be uh, uh, president of the South. And President Ngo Dinh Diem was um, trying to uh, to run the country with another kind of ideology opposing the Marxist-Leninist ideology called uh, personalism. Nhân vị.
personalism. And it seems that uh, the ideological war begins, begins. There's a lot of confusion and there was a newspaper, daily newspaper who came to the Nguang Temple and asked me, asked Thay to write a series of articles on Buddhism. How can Buddhism shed the light on the situation? What kind of directives we should have in order to, 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 to help people settle in the thinking? We should go in what direction? Because there is a, a lot, there was a lot of confusion. And uh, Buddhism is a very uh, ancient tradition in Vietnam, and most of the people have uh, the Buddhist uh, seat in them. And uh, Mr. Vũ Ngọc Cát, Vũ Ngọc Cát, who was a director of uh, the Yên Chủ newspaper migrated from the north. He asked me to write a series of articles on Buddhism in order to offer insight, uh, to offer the suggestions as in what uh, direction, spiritual direction we should go in order to deal with uh, the great confusion in the country. So I accepted and I wrote a series of ten articles with the title Buddhism, a fresh look, a fresh look on Buddhism, a new way of looking at Buddhism, Đạo Phật qua nhận thức mới. Đạo Phật, the way of the Buddha, Buddhism, qua, through. new look on the teaching of the Buddha. And uh, it is in the, this series of ten articles that I propose the idea of engaged Buddhism. So, engaged Buddhism dated from 1954. Buddhism in the realm of education, Buddhism in the realm of economics, in Buddhism in the realm of politics, and so on. And I remember, at that time I did not use a typewriter, I just write in the old fashion. And uh, they came and take, uh, they took the article, and the article was always printed in a front page with a red title big like this. A new, a fresh look on Buddhism, a new way of looking at Buddhism. And the newspapers saw very, very well. Because people are very thirsty. They want to have a spiritual path. 
they want direction, a, a direction, because confusion was so, so huge. I remember Thầy Trí Quang. He was also at the same time in the An Quang Temple. And he was very curious as what I, I wrote in the newspaper. So every, every morning he went down, he went to the uh, kiosk, a newsstand, and he bought one copy of the Yeng Chu, and he read. <laughs> that series of articles was uh, printed into a book later on. And uh, not... Uh, Long after, when I visited Thuế, Thầy Đức Tâm, Thầy Đức Tâm, Thầy Đức Tâm, who was a, who had been in the same class with me at the Buddhist Institute. He was a editor of another Buddhist magazine called Liên Hoa. The, the editor-in-chief is uh, Hòa Thượng Đông Hào, but he was uh, uh, the editor, and he had his temple in, in a small island uh, of the Perfume River, Sông Hương, Cồn Hến, Cồn Hến. The Perfume River has an island like that called Konhen, where they grow a very good corn, very tasty kind of corn. And he had his temple here. He invited me to stay a few weeks in his temple. Every morning he offered me tea with uh, Tường Vi flowers. Tường Vi is kind of rose, very tiny, but smells very nice when you put uh, in the tea. And every every day we do walking meditation to the neighborhood and we bought some fresh corn. And he nourished me with uh, uh, rose tea and uh, fresh corn and he wanted me to write another series of uh, articles on engaged Buddhism. <laughs> In fact, uh, I wrote uh, another series of ten articles with the title Đạo Phật Ngày Nay. Đạo Phật Ngày Nay. Today's Buddhism, Buddhism of today. And that is uh, also on the theme of engaged Buddhism. And he printed this series, this series of articles on his uh, Buddhist magazine, Liên Hoa. It was uh, translated into French by Levenhau in Paris. Levenhau is a, a, um, a scholar. Uh, live in Paris 
and uh, the title he he took for the book is Ojogbila uh, Buddhism. Ojogbila Buddhism. In fact, in 1964, when I visited America to give a series of lectures, I met uh, Thomas Merton, the Trappist monk. And I gave him one copy of uh, Ojukbi, the Buddhism. And he wrote a review uh, on that book. Uh, in 1960. 64, 63. I was uh, lecturing in uh, Columbia University on Buddhism. And uh, there was uh, the, the struggle movement led by the Buddhists for human rights that ended the regime of uh, President Diem. Maybe you have heard about uh, the Venerable Thich Quang Duc who immolated himself with fire and who drew the attention of the whole world to the violation of human rights in Vietnam. And that was a completely non-violent movement for human rights. And when uh, the Ziem regime fell down, I was asked by my colleagues to come home and help. I was teaching in Columbia University. So I went home. I founded uh, Van Hang University. And I published, uh, I collected many articles I have written before. And I published a book called Engage Buddhism. Đạo Phật đi vào cuộc đời. I think this is the first time you have these uh, information. <laughs> Đạo Phật đi vào cuộc đời. This is in 1964, in the beginning of 64. And the articles have been written before that, but I just put them together and published under the title Đạo Phật Đi Vào Cuộc Đời. Cuộc Đời here, is a life, a society, uh, written in Chinese. And devour means to enter. So this is uh, the real uh, words that was used for engaged Buddhism in Vietnam. Devour cuộc đời, entering into uh, life, social life. Into life. In China, our colleagues have been using the word nhân uh, giang Phật giáo. 
But in Vietnam, we really use the word nhập thế, engage into life. And six months later, I produced another book called Đạo Phật Hiện Đại Hóa. Buddhism updated, Buddhism renewed. This is the Chinese, uh, uh, Chinese Hiện Đại, Hiện Đại Hóa. Buddhism make, make actual, actual, the actualization of Buddhism. So all these terms, uh, all these documents have to do with uh, what we call engaged Buddhism. And after that I wrote many other books. Buddhism of tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Buddhism today and Buddhism of tomorrow. Đạo Phật ngày mai. But at that time already, uh, my name was banned by the government of the South, the anti-communist government, because of my activities for peace, calling for reconciliation between North and South. Uh, I became... Uh, Uh, persona non grata I could not go home anymore and uh, I was in exile so my book uh, Buddhism of Tomorrow uh, could not be published in Vietnam under my name so I I use a um, Montagna's name Uh, and uh, my name uh, as author of that book. Đạo Phật, Đạo Phật ngày mai. Nguyễn Tomorrow was signed soon. Đăng Lộ. And you may wonder where that name come from. <laughs> in fact, uh, already in 1956, we founded a practice center in the in the highland of Vietnam, called a Fragrant Palm Leaf Monastery, Phuong Boi. Fragrant Palm Leaf. And uh, we bought the land from two uh, 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 montagnards whose name is Cabriu and Cabroy. Cabriu and Cabroy who gave us uh, the land and took the money. And the name of the village where the fragrant palm leaf uh, monastery uh, was situated in is Su Dang Lu. So that is the name of the village, Su Dang Lu. And uh, I continue to publish my books in Vietnam with uh, many other names. 
I wrote uh, the uh, history of Vietnamese Buddhism in three volumes like this. And I signed the name Nguyễn Lang. Nguyễn Lang. So although I was away for the con- from the country uh, 39 years, but I continued to write books, and some of them were published in Vietnam under different kinds of names. So engaged Buddhism, as we have said, the first meaning of it is the kind of Buddhism that is present in every moment of our daily life. Why you brush your teeth, Buddhism should be there. Why you drive your car, Buddhism should be there. Why you are walking in a supermarket, Buddhism should be there. So that you know what to buy and not at what not to buy. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that is the first uh, uh, definition of engaged Buddhism, which is very important. And as we know that Buddhism, engaged Buddhism, is the kind of Buddhism that responds to anything that happened in the here and the now. What happened in the here and the now is global warming. What is happening in the here and the now? Climate change, the destruction of the ecosystem, the lack of communication, war, conflict, suicide. With mindfulness, we have to be aware of what is going on in our body, in our feelings, in our emotions, and in our environment. That is Engaged Buddhism. Engaged Buddhism is the kind of Buddhism that responds to what is happening in the here and the now. Let me erase all of this mindfully. It would be uh, right if we speak about engaged Buddhism in terms of the four noble truths. And the first of uh, the Four Noble Truths is Dukkha, ill-being. In the old time, uh, uh, Buddhist teachers speak of uh, the, the, four, uh, the first Noble Truth, Dukkha, in terms of uh, old age is suffering, um, sickness is suffering, death is suffering, uh, separation with those you love is suffering. You have to live with those who you don't love is suffering. <laughs> uh, uh, wishing for something but never obtain it is suffering. And that is the old way of describing the first noble truth. But now, as we practice mindfulness, we have to identify the kind of ill being that is really there in us and around us. And we know that, first of all, there is a tension in our body. Tension, stress, 
a lot of anxiety. Fear, violence, Um, broken families, suicide, war, conflict, terrorism, destruction of the ecosystem, global warming, and so on. We should be fully present in the here and now and to realize, to recognize the real face of your being. The usual tendency, the natural tendency is uh, to run away, to try to run away from suffering, from ill being. We don't want to confront, we don't want to recognize them. That's too much for us. So we try many ways in order to turn around to the truth. We try to escape, right? try to run away. But the Buddha advises us not to do so. In fact, he encourages us to confront the suffering, to recognize the suffering, to look deeply into the nature of the suffering in order to learn. And his teaching is that if you don't understand suffering, you, you cannot see the path of transformation the path leading to the cessation of suffering. And all of us know that the first noble truth is ill-being, and the fourth noble truth is the path leading to the cessation of your being. Without understanding the first noble truth, you never have the opportunity to see the path leading to the cessation of your being. Looking into your being deeply, you discover the path. That is the teaching of the Buddha. And that is why to run away from suffering, from your being, you have no chance to see the path. And that is why we should learn 
to come home to the present moment, to be fully present in order to recognize your being as it is. And as we practice looking deeply into the first noble truth, your being, we will discover the second truth, the nature, the roots of your being. The nature of ill being, the making of ill being. We can call it the making of ill being. In fact, looking deeply into you being, we can discover the second noble truth. Craving. Hate. Ignorance, wrong perception. Lack of communication. And each of us has to discover from himself or herself the cause of uh, our ill being. Suppose we speak about the, our hectic life. We have too much so much to do. We have so much to achieve. As a politician, as a businessman, even as an artist, we want to do more and more and more. We are craving for success. We do not have the capacity to live deeply each moment of our daily life. We never allow our body to relax. We don't give our body a chance to relax in order to heal. And that is why our hectic life is the cause of so many tension, stress, anxiety, and so on. If we know how to live like a Buddha, dwelling in the present moment, allowing the refreshing and healing elements of life to penetrate, to 
nourish us, to heal us. And then we will not become victims of uh, stress and tension and many kinds of diseases. So we can say that uh, one of the roots of ill-being is the incapacity to live our life deeply in each moment. We want our children to get to the top and we push our children to study, to work very hard. And our children become stressful. And at one point, they can no longer continue to study. Competition. We want success. Success. We want to be number one. And therefore, uh, we should bring about a spiritual dimension to our daily life as a politician, as a businessman, as a teacher, as a father, and so on. So the art of mindful living can be seen already as the the fourth uh, noble truth. When we have a lot of tension and and uh, and uh, irritation in us, we cannot uh, listen to the other person. We cannot use loving speech. We cannot help each other remove wrong perceptions. And therefore, wrong perceptions give birth to fear, to hate, to violence, and so on. So we have to identify the causes, the roots of our ill-being. This is a very important work. Suppose we speak of... uh, Suicide, broken families. We know that uh, when communication becomes difficult between husband and wife, father and son, mother and daughter, people are no longer happy. And many young people, because of despair, they want to commit suicide. They have the feeling, the emotion of despair. And as they don't know how to handle despair, they don't know how to breathe, to hold uh, their emotion. And they think that the only way to stop suffering is to just kill oneself. In France, every year about 12,000 young people committed suicide, commit suicide, just because they cannot handle their emotion like despair. And their parents don't know how to do it. They do not teach their children how to hold their feelings, to deal with their feelings and their emotions. And even school teachers, they don't know how to do it. How can they help their students to practice 
recognizing and holding tenderly their emotions and their feelings. And when the people cannot communicate, they don't understand each other, they don't see the suffering of each other, they continue to accuse each other, to blame each other. And there is no love, no happiness. And war is also born from wrong perceptions. Terrorism also. The terrorists think that uh, the other side are trying to destroy them as a religion, as uh, a way of life, as a tradition, as a nation. And that is why they want to punish. If, the, if we believe that the other person is trying to kill us, and then we will seek a way to kill that person first in order for us not to be killed. So there is fear, there is a misunderstanding, there is a wrong perceptions as the foundation of all these violent acts. And we know that the war, like the one in Iraq, the war called uh, anti-Thai terrorist, that war is not helping to, has not helped to reduce of, uh, the number of terrorists. In fact, the number of terrorists is increasing all the time with the war. Because at the foundation, misunderstanding, wrong perceptions are the cause of anger, hate, and fear. In order to remove terrorism, you have to remove wrong perceptions. And we know very well that uh, airplanes uh, fighting uh, guns and bombs cannot remove terrorism, cannot remove uh, wrong perceptions, only loving speech and compassionate listening can help bring about informations that can help people to correct their wrong perceptions. And our leaders do not know, do not, uh, are not trained in that discipline and they rely on the armed forces, they rely on the guns and the bombs alone in order to remove terrorism. So looking deeply, you can see the making of ill-being, the roots of ill-being, by just looking, by, by recognizing ill-being as the truth and looking deeply into its nature.
there are developing countries. There are countries like China, India. Population is very large. And now many people have a chance to consume because in the past they were not able to consume. So they need energy, they need gasoline, they need uh, electricity. And the amount of uh, oil, the amount of energy we can produce is limited. And uh, the industry of uh, meat making has been uh, destroying a lot of our our ecosystem and uh, make uh, the event, uh, the, the phenomena of uh, the phenomenon of uh, global warming, more and more uh, serious uh, uh, every day. And according to a report by the UN, where we have to reduce the meat industry at least by 50% in order to save our planet. I have written a letter to my friends and my disciples urging them to reduce the eating of meat at least 50%. In the Vietnamese uh, Buddhist tradition, many people uh, eat vegetarian 10 days a month. I urge them to add at least five more days, 15 days a month. So when we, uh, when we look into the first noble truth, ill-being, we discover the roots of ill-being. And suddenly the path becomes apparent. We know how to live our daily life so that our children will have a chance to enjoy this planet. One thing that is clear, that is the truth about the path, can be seen, the fourth noble truth can be seen when we practice looking deeply at the first and at the second. The five mindfulness trainings, for instance, that many of you uh, have received and practiced. The five mindfulness trainings are very concrete practice of uh, compassion, loving kindness. That is the practice of true love. The first uh, mindfulness training is about protecting life. Not only the life of human beings, but also the life of animals, vegetables, and minerals. And that is uh, the practice of uh, protecting uh, the planet. That is deep ecology. In Buddhism, it is thought that uh, not only humans have Buddha nature, but animals, plants, and minerals have Buddha nature in them. And uh, the well-being of humans depends on the well-being of animals, 
vegetables and minerals. Humans are made of non-human elements. And these non-human elements are animals, vegetables, minerals. If you destroy these non-human being elements, you destroy ourselves. That is the teaching of interbeing. So Buddhism, the teaching of the Buddha is in deep ecology is very clear. That is the real practice of love, protected life. Not only the life of humans, but also animals, vegetables, and minerals. And we should be able to live our daily life in such a way that uh, this kind of practice of love could be there in every in every moment. The second mindfulness training is about um, generosity. How to not to possess anything that uh, do not belong to us and use our time, our material resources to help those who are in need. That is the practice of of generosity, the practice of dana. And this is this is uh, also the practice of love, the concrete practice of love. You might consume less, and practicing the second mindfulness training, you develop your love. And as compassion and loving kindness grow in you, you become happier and happier all the time. So the second mindfulness training is also about love, the practice of love. The third mindfulness training is uh, to refrain from uh, sexual sexual misconduct, to protect uh, children and others from sexual abuse, because we know that uh, sexual misconduct has destroyed so many families bringing about a lot of uh, unhappy children. And therefore, the practice of the third mindfulness training is also a practice of love, practice of protection. The fourth uh, mindfulness training is about the practice of uh, listening with compassion and speaking with loving kindness. And these are very wonderful instruments to help restore communication between husband and wife, father and son, mother and daughter, uh, nation and nation, communities and communities. And these are very important practice of love. To restore communication is to bring about reconciliation and happiness. That is a true practice of love. And the fifth mindfulness training is about mindful consumption. We consume only the things that will bring health, well-being into our body, our, our spirit. We refrain from consuming the items that contain toxins like craving, like um, violence, like fear. Yeah. 
like hate. And this uh, is really the way out of our difficult situation. And that is why um, the path leading to the cessation of being should include the practice of five mindfulness trainings. Because that is the practice of love. In the practice uh, called the Eight Noble Path, the Buddha recommend uh, right view. Right view. Right view is fundamental. Right view is the insight of interbeing. Suppose uh, we look at a couple, we look at a father, uh, his son, and the practice of looking deeply allowed us to see that the son is the continuation of the father, and the father is fully present in every cell of the son. Looking into the father, you see the son, and looking into the son, you see the father. When you plant uh, a seed of corn in the damp soil, you wait, and ten days later you have a young plant of corn with two leaves. And you don't see the seed of corn anymore, but the seed of corn has not died. The seed of corn is still alive in the plant of corn. And if you are smart, you can still see the seed of corn in its new form, the plant, the new plant of corn. The same thing is true with the father and the son. Look into the son, you see the father. And you see that uh, the suffering of the son must be seen as the suffering of the father, the happiness of the father can be seen as the happiness of the sun. And uh, looking deeply like that, you discover the truth of interbeing. Happiness and suffering are not individual matter. When your father suffers deeply, there's no way that you can be happy. When your son suffers deeply, there's no way that you as a father can be happy. So you touch the you touch the truth of uh, no-self between father and son. You touch the truth of interbeing between father and son. And that is part of what the Buddha called right view, right view, right insight. Impermanence, no-self, interbeing. And when you have got that in kind of sight, your thinking will become right thinking.
as a practitioner, when you produce a thought, you may you should be aware of the nature of that thought. Because thinking is a one of the fifty-one mental formations. When you produce a thought, that thought might be compassionate, might go goes in the direction of uh, understanding, compassion, non-discrimination. And that thought is described by the Buddha as right thinking. And as soon as you produce such a thought, you feel wonderful within your body and your mind. A thought of compassion, non-discrimination, loving kindness has the, has the capacity to heal yourself and to heal the world. And that is why a good practitioner is capable of producing many thoughts like that every day. Right thinking is thinking in the direction of non-discrimination, no self, impermanence, interbeing. Because right thinking is based on right view. When you produce a thought that is full of anger, the willingness to punish, the willingness to to cause uh, harm, and that is not right thinking. And that thought is harmful to your health and harmful to the health of society, of the world. That's wrong thinking. And uh, this is part of uh, the path leading to the cessation of ill-being, right view, cultivating right view. And right view you can get by the practice of meditation. Mindfulness, concentration, and insight help you to touch the truth of interbeing, the truth of impermanence, impermanence, the truth of no-self. Right view also uh, help you to produce uh, right speech. Speech. You say something, and that something can inspire confidence, hope, and make uh, the other person happy. That is right speech. And when you are able to write a letter full of love, forgiveness, kindness, you feel wonderful within yourself. When you are able to say something kind like that, that's something that what you say can can have an effect of healing right away. And that has an effect of healing for the other person and for the world. And every day you can say things like that, you can write things like that, in the direction of right speech. And that is the path leading to the cessation of ill-being.
And then the Buddha continued with right action. Right action is the kind of action that protect, that support, that help, that save. And when you take an action like that, you feel wonderful. The healing is taking place in you, and the healing is taking place in the other person, in society. And we know that uh, the, the fourth noble truth, the path leading to the cessation of being, is something very concrete, like uh, right thinking, right speech, and right action. And we know very well that the five mindfulness trainings are about right thinking, right speech, and right action. And if we can apply this uh, teaching into our individual life, into our uh, our family life, at the workplace, in our community, and then we can end a lot of suffering, we can bring about a lot of happiness. So, a few examples in order to show us that engaged Buddhism could be understood, could be seen in the light of the four noble truths. Engaged Buddhism is the kind of Buddhism that responds to suffering, that responds to ill being with uh, a noble path. Responding, first of all, to the suffering in our body, to the suffering in our feelings and perceptions, to the suffering happening to our, the people around us, to our environment. Responding to suffering. helping living beings in countless ways. That is the practice of Avalokiteshvara. <laughs>